Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You guys want to hear the perfect song for a training montage in some 80s movie? Kick it, Sting! This is some intense shit. It's Synchronicity 1 by the police off their 1983 album of the same name. It's also number 448 out of 500 on the Spotify original, The 500, with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, you kadoogles? You guys feeling gushbloodle? Or are you guys contoodle? Who cares? It's a brand new episode of the only podcast that's going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. Thank you for doing the Instagram stories, everybody. Take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at Josh Adam Myers and put the hashtag the 500 podcast. And if you want your ranking in the fleece army, ask me on all social media anyway. Just say, hey, Josh, what's my ranking in the fleece army? Most likely, if it's just a post, you'll be a sergeant. If you do multiples, you get bumped up. You might be a general. Sometimes people are commanders. There's secretaries of the interior. You could be the secretary of the Cadugal if you want that. All right, guys, let's dive into this album. Released on June 17th, 1983 and produced by Huge Padgham and the band, this is the fifth and final album by the British post-punk new wave rock jazz and often reggae-influenced power trio, The Police. This is the first of four of their albums on the 500. And trust me, this is probably the most pretentious. Formed in London, England in 1977 and featuring Sting, a.k.a. Gordon Sumner on bass and lead vocals, Andy Summers on guitar and vocals, and Stuart Copeland on drums and vocals, The Police were almost immediately popular and became one of the first British New Wave bands to break through in America. And by this album, they were poised and prepared to become the biggest band in the world. Sonically, the band had hoped to pare down the layered productions of their previous albums to their unique musical nucleus. Sting's powerful tenor vocals and throbbing bass, Andy Summers' jazzy, jangly, and jagged chorusy guitar, and Stuart Copeland's wildly energetic but masterfully controlled drumming. In previous albums, like the 1981 hit album Ghost in the Machine, Sting was fascinated with the writings of Hungarian-British essayist Arthur Kessler. 
Kessler's 1972 book, The Roots of Coincidence, turned Sting onto Swiss psychologist Carl Jung's theory of synchronicity, which basically says that coincidences might be ruled by a dynamic order. Sting is quoted saying about this album, Is there any meaning in coincidence? That's what I wanted this record to be about. It's a grand design, but I'm not sure if it comes off or not. What is sure is that this album was equally inspired by the breakup of Sting's first marriage and the personal anguish he was dealing with. This was also the record that finally ended years of a thorny relationship between the three members. As producer Hugh Padgham recalled, the whole record was actually one meaning away from not happening. Or as Stuart Copeland delightfully recalled, the whole album was recorded in an unbelievably bad atmosphere. We hated each other's guts and we had no respect for each other. Actually, I did, but I just felt like a piece of shit. Fuck, fuck yeah, being so self-aware, Stewie. During the recording, the band would have verbal and even physical fights about what part should be played on which song. Could you imagine? I, would, I wish there was like a GoPro camera set up just to watch how pretentious that fight was. In fact, having to compromise his musical vision for those intensely personal songs with the other members during recording was so burned into Sting's mind that the resentment carried over onto the tour. It was during the Synchronicity Tour while on stage at New York Shea Stadium while looking out at 70,000 fans that Sting thought, it doesn't get any better than this, we really should stop. Seven months later, the band played their last show of the era, but they definitely went out on top with the multi-Grammy winning and multi-platinum record, Synchronicity. Although they later tried to record more, they got sidelined due to Stuart Copeland breaking his collarbone. They only managed to release one Drum Machine back remake of their 1980 song, Don't Stand So Close To Me, in 1986, and despite a successful reunion tour in 2007, there was no more new music from the band. But fortunately, we got this album before the police called it quits. We've also got one of the funniest human beings alive to help me review it. And we did it in front of a live studio audience at JFL 42, a.k.a. Just For Laughs Toronto. The one and only Dan Soder. You guys know Dan from being one half of the bonfire on Sirius XM Radio with my boy, my home skillet, Big J Okerson. Dan recently recorded a brand new hour special for HBO, and you can currently see him playing the role of Mafi on Showtime's Billions. Dan is a very, very good friend of mine. He's not the biggest police fan. He's more like a Queens of the Stone Age kind of dude. And when it came to doing this live at the festival, we were like, what record do you want to do? And he had picked one that was like a year away. And I was like, dude, that's like a year away. I don't think we can wait that long. And then he looked back, he goes, well, I like the police. So I was like, fuck it, dude, let's do the police. And it's perfect, man, because it's we had such a good time recording this at Just for Laughs. A huge thank you to Nick, Sophia, Donna, and the whole crew at Just for Laughs. We love each and every one of you. Also, to everybody in the Fleece Army that came to see the live recording. Uh, I can't thank you guys enough, man. We were almost sold out, and not only that, but I'd say 60 to 70% of the people there were in the Fleece Army. They were a bunch of kadoogles, and I love you guys, man. That really warmed my heart. I stayed afterwards, talked to everybody, signed shit, took pictures. It was the best. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. 
Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Welp, guys, nothing left to say but have a with number 448 out of 500 with Think No Niffany by the Police. There's a little soda, soda in the soda today. Hi, Josh. How are you, buddy? Hi, everyone. I love you. small community college lecture. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so our album today is number 488 out of 500. It's the fifth studio album, Synchronicity by The Police. Yes. We got two fans. Good. Thank God. Uh, Guys, re- coming out strong. Police fans <laughs> showing up in Toronto. <laughs> Released on June 17th, 1983. Hey, that was, I'm not joking when I say this, a week before I was born. Really? crazy? I was born June 24th, 1983. Well, this is why you're doing it. Actually, that's that. actually what that's the album is. magic right there, that Toronto. Is, that is actually what the album is about. It's about coincidences. So if, does everybody- Isn't it weird that uh, Sting and my mom said, get this thing out on June 17th? <laughs> 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 well, I was just in Connecticut. Just bear down, bear down, down Andy. Andy. Get this thing out of me. This thing's like, I want to release the record. Get it out of me. All right. So when did you first hear the police? Like, what's your experience with them? I, um, I'm an only child raised by a single parent, so I was alone. So I didn't, my influences were what I stumbled into. So my musical tastes were, like, what my parents liked, which they were, like, bar. You know, my mom and my dad were, like, Drinkers, alcoholics, I believe it's called now. But uh, not my mom, but like my dad, I knew like bar music. I knew like Jimmy Buffett and like Steve Winwood. There's kids that. Break free, a Love it. Love it. Freedom Overspill. Drinking in a bar all sad. Yeah, if you want to watch me run through a wall, play Freedom (laughs) Overspill. But there was a thing of like, I know friends of mine that grew up like, my dad put on Zeppelin when I was seven. And he was like, son, this is music. And I was like, thanks. I didn't have that. I just knew what they were playing in bars. So I was like, oh, this song's awesome. And they're like, you have no taste. <laughs> so I didn't learn about the police until I was in my mid-20s. I was telling Josh two nights ago, like, I got into Zeppelin when I was, like, 24. That blows my mind. Because I found it. I got into the Stones at 21 because I was drunk at a bar. And I was like, what's this song? I like this song. What and, you, you know, and people, like, look down at you. But you're like, I didn't have – I had an older sister – uh, that she influenced me. You know, she was 12 years older. She's my half-sister. Yeah. Uh, but she influenced me when I was young enough to be like Metallica, Guns N' Roses, that kind of stuff. But I didn't know the classics. And the police I kind of would put as classics. Oh, for sure, yeah. I knew about Sting, but I didn't know about the police. And so then this album came into my life when I was working at K-Rock in New York. I was a radio DJ at two different stations, at KFMA in Tucson, and then uh, WXRK in New York which was K-Rock, then it turned to Free FM, then back to K-Rock, and we were active rock. If you know anything about radio, that's like Rage Against the Machine, Tool. It's like fucking gym rock. You know what I mean? It's shit you do deadlifts, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, dude. You work on like, your traps. Fuck you, I'm going to have traps. <laughs> that's the kind of rock it is. 
And then I loved my job, and we had a really cool staff. And, all, and then all of a sudden, they were like, hey, next week, we're going to start playing classic rock. And everyone that I worked with was like, fuck. And I was like, what does that mean? They're like, that means there's about to be a format flip. That they're, like, CBS Radio was just seeing what worked in New York. And Q104, which is, like, a huge classic rock station, was really popular. They're like, what don't we do? So out of nowhere, we went from playing Rage to Police synchronicity too and i didn't really know about it we we're yeah. playing like mott the hoople and i'm like it's really weird because you're doing one you know one week you're doing like beds of like hey what's up you're listening to k-rock don't forget to get out to our monster energy drink jam <laughs> we're gonna bite someone's nose off and you're gonna have a chance at five thousand dollars <laughs> to like going to no bed music and you're like hey what's up everybody <laughs> hope you're doing all right here's some lou reed <laughs> Um, but I put on this album for like three weeks and fucking loved it and was also weirded out by some of it and and laughed in certain places where I don't think I was supposed to laugh. But you just catch lyrics and you're like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? But overall, it's, a, it's an incredible album. Before we dive into this record, Fleece Army, I'm here to tell you about the brand new Sonos Move. The Sonos Move is the durable smart speaker for indoor and outdoor listening. Now, I have speakers made by Sonos all around the apartment. Well, they sent me the Sonos Move, and I have to tell you guys, it's probably my favorite speaker out of any that I have. What's so cool about it, this one is so movable. You move it here, you move it there. Is It's the same size as most of the other ones, but it's got this very easy-to-carry to handle, and you can move it anywhere in your house. You could take it outside, which I did, when I was out playing with the dog, but it sounds so good. I can't even go to full blast because it packs so much power. Scared the crap out of my dog. And the coolest thing is the charging station. You can just set up nicely and then you take it off the charging station and you've got 10 hours of battery life. I haven't even gotten to that limit yet, but it's just so awesome. And easily connected to my Sonos application, or you can connect it to your Bluetooth so you don't, if you don't have Wi-Fi around, the Sonos move is fantastic. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. And now back to the podcast. The police that I know, if you listen to like the earlier stuff, like I know all the early hits and I've never actually dived into a record. But when I started listening to this, immediately I was like, Oh, I don't think this is a police record. I think this is a Sting record. This was Sting starting to be like, uh, you could kind of feel like, I don't really know, I listened to old, you know, some older stuff just to get kind of context of this album, but it definitely did feel like this is when Sting knows he's on his way out. And he was kind of yeah, like, we should start, we should start uh, going to like swingers parties. And <laughs> like, what the fuck do you mean? He's like, right? Cool? No, come on, it'll be fun. He's like, ah, man, you should be with someone else. I'll be with someone else. It's like, are you trying to fucking slow roll this into you doing your own thing? And he's like, no. Well, whereas I think, whereas I think like the older police, like if you hear like Next to Me or yeah. uh, anything off the first few records that I did know about, those are like fun. And it's like, because people always say the police are punk rock. And I never got it until I listened to the the non-hit tracks. And I was like, oh, shit. No, I see where they got where people think that they're this, like, they're, like, up there with the clash. But then you listen to this, and this is, like, the exact moment police was going to write, uh, if I ever, if you ever lose my faith in me. It's, like, so, yeah. so adult, so jazzy. It's so, 
just pretentious. Yes. But that being said, there's songs on there that I was like, I fucking like Murder by Numbers, which I Great think is song. just going to stay but, in my like, oh, like when it comes on, I'm like, yeah, all right. Like I'll sing along yeah. with it, which is how any album usually gets me hooked. There's always a song I didn't expect to, to grab me that grabs me on an album when I end up liking an album. And I'm then like, you just oh. start listening to that song over and well, over You and start over again. with that song and then you get into the other songs. And then the other songs start to like, like my favorite band of all time is Queens of the Stone Age. And I usually Great find, band. I usually find by the time I've listened to the album, I'll start with the song I, least, I like the least. Because then that ends up, that song ends up usually being my favorite song on the album. Always. It's always. always the one that you hate at first that you end up actually enjoying the most. Let's dive actually into the record, though. Okay? Yeah. All right. So uh, it starts with Synchronicity 1. Uh, Peter, play the chorus real quick. <laughs> to me, this sounds like there's like 45 different musical styles going on at once. They're all connected synchronatically. I can't know how to say. Is that even an actual word? Dude, that's someone synchronatically. The energy of that song is someone that just did two lines of coke in their car <laughs> yeah. and, and walked into a house party. There's like, Woo! what's up? I'm fucking here. I do think this song is perfect, and this is. Yeah. It. And when I put this on at first, it's I was jam. like, "This is how you're starting the record." So yeah. this is all, every song is going to be at this tempo. And it's what you said earlier. You kind of, if you listen to the Police's earlier stuff, you're like, "Up tempo, fun." Like, all right, this will be a fun record. Exactly. All right. So this might be the best post-punk prog influenced song about Carl Jung's theory of meaningful coincidence in seven four time, possibly ever. And you know what they say about 7-4. 7-4, yeah. your mom's a... whore. <laughs> is that what it is? Were you trying to call my mom That's a actually what it is. Filled with lyrical allusions to the possibilities of connections through random occurrences. This is such hot guy being smart rock. Does that make any sense? Yeah, oh, 100%. Sting is such a hot bass player. That he was like, I got this. I'm going to put it in some theory in here. And they're like, all right, Sting. Well, they were fighting. This is the other thing about it like that I found out is that the police, when they made this record, hated each other. Like, they not only got into verbal arguments, like, in the recording studio, like, they fought while making this record. Like, got Which usually into, means it's going to be good. Usually. And this is a good record. Good record. Yeah, but this is, this is the sound of the police breaking up. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not so grown up things like 
hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind podcast. Um, but this song... Synchron- not that synchronatic? <laughs> but this song is about so- coincidence. So what pivotal role has co- coincidence played in your life? Uh, there's just been moments where... It, like, There's been certain moments in my life that are so coincidental based that you're like it's just funny like it feels like a joke like I used to wait tables in Manhattan and I worked at K-Rock and it did happen we got fired like we started playing classic rock and then one day they're like we're going top 40 y'all are fired so then you I had to like I was scrambling I was like a you know I was an open mic comic I was I was I was on the road but like opening for Bobby Kelly and Joe DeRosa and Big J yeah so you're getting work I was getting a little better work, but I was working in the city. But that was my income was K-Rock. So when they did the, the, the format flip, I was like, shit. I couldn't. I was waiting tables at the time. That was my other job. But I kind of had it as like I could pick my schedule. Being like, hey, I, I work at K-Rock. This job isn't important. And when you have that kind of energy at a restaurant, they don't really fuck with you. Because they're like, ah, this, we can't really fire him, scold him, because he doesn't need this job. He's just doing this job. You know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to like, I need this job for money. So when I lost K-Rock, I was like, fuck. So I lied to Dos Caminos. And I was like, oh, I got a job at Sirius XM. I, I'm working at Sirius XM. So I can't work on the weekends. And I can't work at night. And they're like, okay. So I just got to do stand-up and wait during tables. But they wouldn't fuck with my sc- I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, they wouldn't fuck with me because they thought, like, oh, he's got Sirius XM. I didn't. I lied. That was such a lie. And then I ended up getting enough things through comedy where I could quit waiting tables. And then Big J and I get picked up as a show at Sirius XM. And I get a text message that Dos Caminos is closing. And so they're like, hey, we're all going to meet up. All the waiters are going to meet up and have a dinner there. And I, I left my radio <laughs> show at Sirius and walked to Dos Caminos. And I was like, ha, ah, ain't that a coincidence? <laughs> I fucking lied into a into a success. <laughs> so I just want to thank everyone here from Miami. Uh, it's been a long, hard road. Did you? Add, did you, were you able to have any of the farewell fajitas? Oh yeah, dude. It's, <laughs> I brought it out. And, I, brought and, then, them. and then I I became what I hated. I was like, this doesn't taste right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then the song goes into walking in your footsteps. Uh, play the yeah. intro. <laughs> Open the record with one of the best songs I've ever heard them play into some shit that Bobby McFerrin wrote. (laughs) And they're giving these like random shout out to to random dinosaurs. Dude, it's a dinosaur song. Adorable little raptor there. It's a dinosaur song. Do you remember how much you liked dinosaurs before you were 10 years old? Oh my God, dude. Jurassic Park almost made me come. 
Dude, I saw. I was I remember, when it came out, and I, that was the closest to achieving orgasm I had until I hit puberty. <laughs> I was like, dinosaurs! I remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park, I was literally sitting in the front row yeah. of like the, the local theater, and it was just mind-blowing. It was crazy. But yeah. I never thought about writing a fucking song about it like Sting. That's what Sting did. He's like, he read Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park, and he's like, like hold gone. on. All right, so Brontosaurus, Diplyophorus. I'm going through the Cretaceous period, the Jurassic period. I love it. <laughs> so lyrically, it globalizes Sting's internalized feelings of hopelessness. I guess what he's trying to say by by singing about hopelessness and dinosaurs is that I guess he sees this as humankind's own worst enemy and unlike the dinosaurs will likely be responsible for their own extinction. All right, so here's your question for this one. This is what we got. What kind of dinosaur are you? Yeah. Oh, I've always wanted to answer this. Sometimes... I feel like a spitting dinosaur. You know the ones that go, tax! <laughs> but most of the time I really know, I'm a triceratops. I'm what? a stegosaurus. I'm, I, I like grass. <laughs> I, too, I too am from Colorado. And if you fuck with me, I'll swing my spiky tail. I don't know, I had to have something cool at the end. Stegosaurus, what about you? Um... I think I'm a T-Rex. Everyone. Because, on, no, dude. because I just, I, I, I like. That's like saying you're a bad boy. No, because I, I, I no, it's because I, I drop shit all the time with my small okay. arms. I'm like, that. I'm like, yeah, I just, I just knock shit over and I'm big and there's destruction. All right, that goes into Oh My God. Uh, so this song was written years before the police got together and it feels really, really, really loose. Also, the coolest shit about it is that Sting plays the saxophone solo on it. Of course he does. Of course he does. Lyrically, Sting is once again searching for meaning and relief, but also assigning blame to God for not finding it. So he is directly challenging God in this song. Play. Uh, you want a great way to cue up a clip? <laughs> so this is him directly challenging God. We got that? Great. <laughs> Peter, play, play a little bit for me. This is like Sting's Lieutenant Dan moment, just really like screaming it. at yeah. God. Come like, on! Come on! You call that a storm? Uh, also, in a, in a sense, this kind of has this like very porno musicy feel to it. Well, it's like it's bass heavy. It's got like very bass like, heavy, but it's but it does like this is a song you can fuck to. But then there's this what really made me think it was like porno music. There's this whole section where he just keeps screaming, "Fill me up!" Yeah. He's screaming, "Fill!" Oh, it's "Fill it up." Okay. Well, that also could. Uh, I thought it was "Fill me up." I like to believe that it's "Fill me up." Sting. Fill me st up. Sting. <laughs> sting. What a fun way to ask for sex. <laughs> Like, I'll fill you up. I don't know. Good yeah. song. Good uh, song. It's but one of those songs where by the by the fourth time I heard it, I liked it. Kind yeah. of familiar. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, so I had a moment where it was, like you said, like I, there's, I always have this moment with the record where I'm not really getting it. And then, like you said, you could be in the shower or just me waking up and walking the dog. And I start humming a part yes. of it. And this was the song that got me. But then we go into probably the shittiest track on the record 
mother. Dude. Play 19 seconds in, Peter. This is straight up the equivalent of having a conversation with someone and him being like, you ever want to fuck your mom? Yeah, what's up? What's up, what was that, dude? Huh? Like, out of fucking nowhere, we're like, whoa, 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 what did you just say? And he goes, nothing, man. Just, like, my mom smells good sometimes. So you thought, you thought, you thought Sting wrote this. This actually yeah, is... He's the only one I know. That's true. <laughs> this was actually Andy Summers. Uh, Summers explained that the song was inspired by his mom. Yeah! You think? Yeah! You think? Thanks, Andy. Well, here's what he said. He said, we all have our family situations, and I had a pretty intense mother who was very focused on me. I was sort of the golden child, and there I was sort of fulfilling all of her dreams by being this pop star in the police. I got a certain amount of pressure from her. Um, you don't connect with, mother, do you hear me ringing? I don't like it, mommy. <laughs> Dude, he had to play. Andy had to play this for his mom one point. Like, what do you think she was going on in her Did head he when she heard this? He leaned over in the studio. He goes, "Mother, I'd like you to hear the song that you inspired." <laughs> Are you a fan? Uh it's it's weird as shit. It's weird. I, th- I wrote, "It's bad. It's a mess. It's ugly." I thought it was it completely is. unnecessary and also not very maternal. Uh, but speak. At all. That's some odd that's some odd dirt to rub in the wound. <laughs> I mean, you going, by the way. It's just a gross it's a gross song. Like it's just something that on such a great record, I, I understand why they did it, but I just think it's a waste of three and a half minutes of our lives to hear something like that. Especially I, especially on your last record. Like, dude, when the Beatles dropped like their final album, which is Let It Be, right? Like everything on it is Maybe not their best work, but it's still a perfect album. This is what you were going to leave people with. You want every re- every song to be, I'm, like, perfect. I've got to be honest. The way I listened to the album after, like, the fifth time I listened, I would do shuffle. I would go to the playlist, and I'd pull Mother off. Yeah, it's— and then I, Sorry, it's, the album's a fucking banger when you do that. Yeah, it's—like, the dude, it's— Because you hit Mother. Mother's like, oh, fuck, dude. It's yeah. like throwing up mid-conversation. <laughs> it's what it feels like when you listen to that. Like, yeah, dude, we're on the. Yeah! Ah, I'm back. Adieu. <laughs> All right, so you talk a lot about being raised by a single mom. Yeah, it's a weird. I didn't realize how weird it was until I got older and got into therapy. I always was like, I, dude, my mom's one of legitimately. I was, I was just raised by tough women. My mom is really tough. My, my sister was really tough. My grandmother's really tough. My aunt was really tough. Just all these like super strong women, and uh, I didn't really realize that, like how that affected me until I got older. And then I was like, "Oh shit, okay." My mom like kind of felt like she had been through so much shit that I didn't really have anything to compare it to. I don't know if that's like if that makes any sense, but whenever I'd go through some tough shit, my mom, which was a great thing and a shitty thing at the same time, my mom would be like, "You're gonna get through this. You'll be fine." keep going which is great for resilience but it's not great as far as like feel that pain for a little bit yeah like when you have siblings and stuff i think you can go through it um my sister was 12 years older than me she was from my dad's first marriage so my mom was her stepmom so i didn't live with her but my mom made it sure that she was a part of my life which was great but at the same time when you're alone 
and you're dealing with someone that's like kind of got that mentality, you have a weird gauge system. You don't know how to gauge anything. Because you're like, is this, am, am I right for feeling like sad about this? Or should I toughen up and this is just the thing I need to get through? So then you end up not treating like a lot of painful things and pushing them down and it becomes self-destructive in certain yeah. ways. So that's kind of why I, I think in comedy I talk about it. Because I'm like, oh shit, I didn't realize that other only children hear this or someone else that was raised in a similar situation would be like, yeah, I fucking do the same exact thing. Where you, like, I never wanted to be a burden on my mom. I always wanted to help out. Which have, is, yeah. Have you been able to repay her since, you know? Oh, absolutely. I got to buy her, you know, I'm, I'm not public about it, but I got to, she got into a car accident and I got to buy her a car. Like I got to buy her like a fucking good car. And that was yeah. like insane. It was insane. So I love those parts of it. But then there is parts when you're in therapy and my therapist is like, yeah, you got to, you got to confront your mom about that. Like that's kind of fucked up and you don't want to do that. But you know, you get why you can write a song like that or you can have a <laughs> long, intense conversation on the phone. Well, I choose the latter. <laughs> let, let me take it to 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 a little bit more of a funny version of this. Like, what is the worst thing your mom has ever caught you doing? Oh fuck, dude! When you're an only child raised by a single mom, you're roommates. So it's like, my mom was always really cool about not rubbing it in. Like, if she pa- found porn, she'd just kind of throw it away and then be like, "You gonna say, something? dude? This is the best one. This is the best one. This is very this." So I used to dry hump boxers until I came. I didn't know how to jerk off. Scrooching. That's yeah. what I used What's to it call called? it. I used to call it scrooching. scrooching. At least that's what my mom called it when she caught me doing it. Yeah, that's she was like, Joshua, stop scrooching on the floor. I love it. Oh. And it's just me I dry to, humping I the floor. I used to scrooch the shit out of stuff. Because <laughs> I didn't have a dad there to teach me it's about the wraparound piece. So I was just hump. I was just, you know, you just do the, the, the yeah, fucking. You have no idea. I started primate minds. You're just like, I had that. So I used to, like, uh, when I was, like, 12, I'd, like, fuck my boxers until I came in them. I'd just, like, yeah, it's a lot. Shut up. We're listening to a police There's nothing wrong. No, there's... You didn't think it was going to turn sexual? So I, uh, dude, I remember this clear as day because I didn't know how to take this. So I'd, like, come in my boxers, and then he's like, yeah, and just put them in my laundry. My mom did my laundry. Yeah. And one time my mom is just, I'm, I would fold the laundry. My, my mom would wash it, and I would fold it, and I was, like, folding it. And my mom goes... You know that uh, semen smells. Oh. <laughs> That's all she said. That's all she said, and I was like, that, what a weird Snapple fact. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't even think about it. Like, I was like, God, yeah, there's mom with all that random information right. again. Yeah, whatever, lady. Thanks for teaching me about life. And then, like... Couple months later, I was like, "Oh no, my mom knows I fucking splooge in these boxes." I mean, that's her being cool too, though. She's like, "Listen, I know that shit's going down, but I'm not going to make it awkward." Like you, even with the, the story, zen, that's the zen of Trish. Yeah, but she your just, your mom definitely had a way of raising you. Even though you can hear it in your stand up when you tell the story about the printer. Yeah, it's like your mom's a G, dude. Yeah, my like, mom was like, "She could have fucking fe- this kid up." Yeah, because it, it could have been that, or could have been your mom like, "Stop nutting in your pants." Yeah, and then I'd be like, and then, and then I'd like, be on stage going, <laughs> "Mommy, why?" <laughs> Mommy, I come. Why? <laughs> All right. So th- Instead, I'm like, ah, it's a pretty rational decision by Trish. Just to float out that cum smells. <laughs> All right. You know that cum smells. All right. So this goes into uh, Miss Gridenko. Uh, I I don't really like this song, but I do like the chorus. So go ahead and play that for me, Peter. Is 
this was actually written by Stuart Copeland. So he, so Stuart has remarked that he wrote this song as a tiny meditation on forbidden love in a totalitarian regime. Why did? Why can't they r- just write songs where you don't need an ancient transcript to fucking yeah, break this shit are down? It's super coke heavy ideas. Well, so he was. So I know it's like. Okay, so you remember Miss Green, right? <laughs> so I wanted to fuck her, but I couldn't. I couldn't fuck her. So it's like fucking nobody's loving it. <laughs> so Pardon. so supposedly while he was writing this, he was really obsessed with George Orwell's book, 1984. And also keep this in mind, the Cold War is still going on when this record yeah. comes out. So this is a totally fucking different time. Also, something that I thought was really cool uh, is that Stuart Copeland's father, Miles Copeland, was the founder of the CIA. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, all right. That's crazy. Here's my stance on that. <laughs> Whenever you find out artistic kids are sons of successful people, it kills my artistic boner for them. Yeah, we were talking about that sense? earlier. It's like when you find out nepotism is involved, I, I'm not saying it was with him, but it's kind of like, ah, oh, man. So you kind of just like had CIA money. And then you're like, I'm gonna write songs. You know, I don't. Yeah. I don't think he talked like that. But that's he could sit. He could spend all day just practicing the drums. He didn't have to worry about money. He didn't have to worry about any of I that. I love when I find out that someone came from nothing and made it off their talent. That's super inspirational for me. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what that it, that does the opposite. We're like, not to take away from his accomplishments. He's, an, he's, he's an incredible, incredible drummer. But at and the listen, same there's time, there's incredible when you artists can, that I could name off. But I'm just saying when you find out that they came from something, you're like, shit. So you kind of half did it. Sting was a tax collector. That's badass. Yeah, dude. That's back when he was Gordon. All right. Yes. So now we've come to the songs that I think everybody in the audience is probably going to know the most. And I and also, not only are these the hits, but I think that the next few songs and the second half of the record is why this album is on the list. So... We go into track six, Synchronicity number two. This is the third single from the record. I also think that this is probably the best song on the album, and it probably has the most iconic O in all of music. So go ahead, Peter, play a little bit of it. This was how side two on the vinyl opened up, and... For this exploration of meaningful coincidence, Sting describes how a disgruntled working man's anxiety physically manifests into the Loch Ness Monster, and he paints a picture of it (laughs) perfectly. I love the chorus. Play the chorus, because I want to hear that part. Let's hear the chorus. So what he's trying to say is the synchronicity in this song is it's at a Scottish lock and it's inside Daddy's head. The monster is coming out of the water and approaching the cottage. Daddy's despair and futility over his life are boiling to the surface just as he's arriving home. So basically Sting assessed the lyrics by saying, I was trying to dramatize Young's theory of meaningful coincidence, but the song was just so rocking they just... <laughs> they just talked about the Loch Ness Monster? Yeah. I wanted to talk about something cool, but the thing was fucking jamming. 
porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. So also, but in another interview for this song, Sting said that the Loch Ness Monster represents his penis. Let's talk about, let's talk about anxiety for a second. Let's talk about that. Or we can talk about Sting's dick. Could you imagine, <laughs> I mean, all I want to talk about is the fact that you're that proud of your cock to call it the Loch Ness Monster. Dude, he called That's the guy who shows his dick with his hands on his hips. <laughs> What, he goes, no one he presents goes, like that unless you're a got a sure thing. Like, <laughs> this is my penis. All right. So is there a situation where your anxiety bubbled over into Loch Ness monster territory? Only when I've done edibles. But uh, yeah, man, I think I lock up. I smoke a lot of weed, and um, yeah, but you're like when you smoke weed, you're you're very talkative. You're so like because I'm very anxious to begin with. Mike Vecchione, who's my roommate, who's a fantastic comedian. He's great. And you should go listen to everything he's put out. I'm sincere about yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. Um, he says there's two types of Dan. I've lived with him for eight years. And he's like, there's coffee Dan, and then there's weed Dan. And he's like, I, I don't like coffee Dan. Because I'm, I'm anxious. Like, I'm anxious just as a person. So if I just drink coffee, I'm just like, hey, ah, fuck. And then if I smoke weed and drink coffee, I'm more like, hey. All right. Yeah. It's but the weed will throw me into a panic where I get like these uh, bouts of like heavy anxiety, and I kind of have to just sleep. It's the only way I can. I have to sleep it off because I'll be like, "Fuck! Oh fuck! Oh fuck! It's all closing in." But it's uh, that that kind of anxiety. I think I've had. I have bigger anxiety about like uh, I'm always worried people say I'm funny just because I'm a nice person. <laughs> Like, that's my anxiety. With the, like, funny joke, I'm like, fuck you, funny. <laughs> but that goes back to not having a gauge. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes any sense. People, my, uh, another thing my therapist says is he's like, you're terrible at taking in compliments. You don't take in anything. Because I'm like, I think that's an anxiety that if I take it in, I don't know. I definitely say thank you because I do mean it. And I, I think I definitely do try to take it in. But uh, uh, if, if a woman called my penis the Loch Ness Monster, <laughs> I would probably be like, fuck you. You know, I wouldn't be like, yeah, right. I wrote a jam about it. Oh! He just starts doing that. This song's about my penis. It's like, fuck you, Sting. I was so with you until halfway through that sentence. 
I, I, still a great song, though. Great song. And then it goes into the one that I think every single person in this room knows, Every Breath You Take. Peter, play a little bit of it. Every breath you take And every move you make Every bond you break Every step you take I'll be watching I'm 39, and it's like I can still pinpoint the exact moment I heard this song driving to like athletic express with my dad sure it's just such a it just it just it's probably when you think of the 80s it's like this is in the top five songs probably in sales it's one of these songs where you listen to it and you're like what a great song and another one of those police songs you're like what did you say he's like i'll be watching you and you're like i'm sorry man i think i missed that you say you're gonna be watching me so this is probably the most misunderstood song of all time. This is not a love song at all. It's written from the perspective of a character with sinister intent. And all I wrote after reading the lyrics was, this shit is creepy. Play, uh, play minute two, second 14 real quick. This song, uh, it's estimated to have generated between a quarter and a third of Sting's music publishing royalties. So the majority of his money, I mean, is coming from the song. Dude, this was the best-selling single of 83, and it was also the fifth best-selling single of the 1980s. What's, What's the most insane thing love has made you do? Drive from Tucson, Arizona to Los Angeles with a signed Coheed and Cambria poster. Only for that girl to not pick up my phone call. Oh. Right? If it would have worked out, I'd just probably be in a lackluster marriage right now in Southern California. That's the real. That's <laughs> no. fucking good, dude. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Love makes you do dumb shit, but I thought it'd be like really romantic if I drove out to meet this girl and like brought a <laughs> band that she loved, posters <laughs> signed. And she's like, please, you're, you have to sleep over here. She said that on the phone, and I was like, I fucking love <laughs> I fucking love you and then I just called and she didn't pick up and I was staying at my friend's house and I called again and she didn't pick up and then I drove back with the same poster in the back <laughs> just look over the poster and you're like fuck you <laughs> I fucking hate this band fuck Coheed Cambria but honestly they're, they're, you know, they're not that bad yeah I mean love uh, love makes you do crazy what's the craziest shit you've ever done for love <sighs> dude I don't even know um, killed a man like, oh god oh shit I don't know. You know what's funny is I don't know if I've actually really been in love. Like, I've been in two long relationships, and I think the first one I was, like, every girl that I get with has, like, forced me, like, in the first week to, like, move in. Wow. It's it's just, like, they— You guys burn fucking hot. It's just, yeah, with with Britney, it was, like— That's crazy. Dude, she told me she— She's like, what's your favorite song? Move in. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking live with me. Well, that's the thing is that now, now as like, you know, after I've been through two relationships like that, that were really intense really quickly, now it's like I'm making sure that the next one is the girl that I find. One has a job that she loves. Yeah. And so I'm not her hobby. Sure. And two, because that's the worst. It's just like when they, like when they have, men and, is, by the way, the men guys, and women do this. You should not spend every second together and do everything. You, she needs to have her friends. You need to have your friends. And then it's just that Venn diagram where you meet in the middle and you spend quality time together. Yeah. And I haven't been able to find that yet. But, you know, yeah. I'll be watching. He's, yeah, I was going to say, 
He's waiting for his girl to sing this about. All right, that goes into The King of Pain. Uh, this is the fourth and final single released from this record. What a metal title. Yeah, dude, but it's so unmetal. Play a little bit of it. There's a little black spot on the sun to be. So Sting recalled the specific incident that began this song and how his future wife, Trudy Styler, inspired the title. So Sting goes, I was sitting, boping under a tree in the garden, and as the sun was sinking toward the western horizon, I noticed that there was a lot of sunspot activity. And he said he turned to Trudy and went, there's a little black spot in the sun today. And Trudy probably went, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about, Sting? <laughs> are we going to my sisters or not? <laughs> but she starts, so, that, so this, she patiently waited, and then Trudy discreetly raised her eyes to the heavens, and she goes, there he goes again, the king of pain. Can you imagine what it's like being married to Sting? You probably say shit like that all the time. Just the shit that comes out of his mouth. Like, like. Yeah, I guess <laughs> dinosaurs are cool. Uh, I would, I'm so insecure that if she was like, there he goes again, the king of pain, I'd be like, hey, c- can I talk to you? I'd be like, I'd do that. you know, I'd be like, hey, are you, uh, are you mad at me? What's up? Why are you being shitty? What's that king of pain stuff? Are you all right? Did I do something? <laughs> <laughs> there he goes, the king of pain. Whoa, what's up? What are you? What, are you mad at me? Yeah, I think it's a fucking awesome song. So I immediately listened to it, and then I was like, Oh, I love it. I do love this song. It's a great song. I'd probably put I, it as my know, second favorite song on the album. You know what? The best part about it is there's this ripping guitar solo at like minute three. Play a little bit of that. <laughs> Most bands don't backload the record with all yeah. the hits. Uh, because then the next song is Wrapped Around Your Finger, which is the second single from the record. Uh, although this spacey, Turkish-influenced song is considered to be about how romantic relationships usually have an uneven element of control in those. But there's not also... Wrong. No, it's not. But there's all this, like, wizardy shit in it as well. Of course there is. So, dude. all right, so... Sting's an undercover nerd. This is the most pretentious one on the record. Because no, but isn't that a proper theory? Can't you see Sting being an undercover nerd? Where he's like, I like dinosaurs. And like, what, Sting? He's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm fucking creepy and dark. And he's like, oh, so that's pretty sweet. <laughs> so, so Wizards are pretty cool. <laughs> like, fucking nerd. I well, like nerds. He has a philosophy a degree, nerd. and he wants you to know it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. li- listen to all the references of shit that I have no idea about in this song. So there's literary allusions to Thomas Mann's 1947 Deal with the Devil novel, Dr. Faustus. Johann Wolfgang, Wolfgang Goethe's 1797 poem, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. <sighs> and Homer's epic Greek mythological poem, the Odyssey. Why can't Sting just be bummed out in layman's terms? Yeah. Like, why does he, goes, he have I to... I caught my girlfriend cheating on me. This song is called Sad. Why can't he just sing regular lyrics like normal rock stars? He has to fucking smarten the... Dude, there's one point in it that he says Mephistopheles. That's pretty badass, though. You think? It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's a cool reference. 
right. It's one. It is a thing where he could use much simpler terms. I think it's a great song, though. Play a little bit of it, Peter. So although the song's weaker narrator is kept down by his master, eventually he turns the tables, takes over the power, and gets the master's ring. This is fucking like J.R. Tolkien shit. Yeah, dude, uh, it's nerd stuff. Yeah. When have you yes. felt... And in a similar thing, the powers of the crystals are released. And then everyone knows that the weaker warlock is now in... <laughs> it's D&D. Yeah, it's D&D like, and music. 13 hits to your weakened shield. <laughs> We're playing Magic the Gathering today, <laughs> and I'm scared to talk to Yeah. When, when have you felt powerless, and how did you get that power back? Ah, uh, wow. What a fun topic that got <laughs> super personal. Uh, probably uh, when, I, when I drank, I felt like at the end I was really, I was drinking, I quit drinking like six years ago, and I'd probably say like by the end I felt really powerless over it. Like it was my identity. Like I was yeah. just waking up and I was drinking not for me but for other people. And that felt really weird and gross and sad. And then when I quit drinking, I was like, fuck, I was right. That shit was, you know, I was powerless over it. Yeah. And I got out and then I was just like, oh, fuck, I, I don't, you know, I can be myself and not have alcohol. I think alcohol has just fucked up my whole family. So... It was like watching my family go through all their different stuff with alcoholism than my own. It was like you can feel powerless to like substances as, you know, sucks. You're just kind of like, I need this. And you're like, why do I need this? I don't need this. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I With drinking, luckily, I I had th I got three DUIs, so it was pretty easy to quit. Damn. Yeah, Did you have the breathalyzer start up? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, dude. that's how you know someone can drink. That was the most. When someone goes like this. Hey, sorry. Uh, hold on, real quick. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> like, oh fuck. Do you know how embarrassing that shit was? Like when you'd pull up to a light because you have to blow in it for the car to start, and then you have to wait. Like it happens randomly within the next like ten to fifteen minutes of you driving that you have to blow into it again, or it'll shut the car down. And you're in LA. I had a convertible like jeep and like you pull up to a stoplight <laughs> and like a hot girl pulls up next to you and then suddenly it starts beeping. And so what I would do is just turn the music up and act like I was playing this dope flute. Like, yeah. Ooh. You go, look at me, I'm air fluting. <laughs> also, uh, I have one point left on my license. <laughs> so so the, po the police guitarist Andy Summers isn't big on this song. Uh, he said in the book, I want my MTV. I've never been much of a fan of that song, actually. Sting got to shoot his part last in that video and made a meal of knocking all the candles out. Fuck him. Oh, they're cool. All right, T and Sahara. This is a good one. It's a little spooky, though. Play, play a little bit of this one, Peter. That sounds so much like a Cinemax, like detective movie. Oh yeah, dude, Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah, that's like that's softcore. That's, that's softcore some softcore porn. Music. I think I scrooched to this. <laughs> that's some scrooching music. <laughs> I mean, it's a good song. After the last four songs, I, I don't think it really. It's not bad. I think it's Doesn't better hold than up the first the half of the one. record. 
Uh, Sting based this on a story within a story from American writer Paul Boyle's or Bowles. 1949 novel of existential despair and alienation, The Sheltering Sky. God. Stop, dude. There's a chapter in there that an Arab legend told about a trio of sisters who invite a prince to have tea in the desert. (laughs) That's fucking And they enjoy it so much that they invite him again. The prince promises to return, (laughs) but he never does, and the three sisters die in the desert sand waiting for him. What a hot nerd. What's the worst? This is the worst of two worlds. You're getting the nerd shit and the hot guy arrogance what's the worst you've ever been rejected oh i got a good one i've I've been rejected a lot i think that's the uh that's the origin story for any comedian um if a girl wants to shut me back down to my shell just know the secret code is walking up to me and going i love you like a brother and then i'm like (laughs) (laughs) i just become eighth grade dan again where i'm like oh my uh but I had a real big crush on this girl uh, my sophomore year of college. The class was love and eroticism in the Middle Ages. Ooh. Yeah. It's a class you go Who to. Who are you, if Sting? You, if you <laughs> fucks. That's, that's a pretty pretentious what if, class. You know what be so funny is if you see an interview from my, uh, me talking about my special and I'm like, I remember reading Tristan and love <laughs> and eroticism in the Middle Ages. Like quoting it. You're like, fuck you. You're doing a butthole joke. <laughs> But this girl was in my discussion group, and she was from Ohio, and I had, like, a really massive crush on her. She was just very beautiful, and she was, like, sweet, and we would talk, and I just kind of did that thing where, I like, as the semester progressed, I had a huge crush on her. I would show up early to lectures so I could sit by her and make her laugh like an idiot. She had a thick Ohio accent, and one of the last days, she was transferring to Ohio State. One of the last discussion groups were walking out, and I was like, Hey, uh, would you like want to get dinner or, you know, just like hang out sometime? And yeah. just in a thick Ohio accent, she goes, Dan, I have a boyfriend. Like that. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the quad in Arizona, just like, fuck it, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she walked off like a walk off home run. Oh, God. Just burned me. You shoot your shot and she swatted that Dude, motherfucker she out. She tumbled me. It's like, no, no, house of Carla. <laughs> All right, now we're here to the final song on the album, which is, I think, your favorite song on the record, right? Besides M- King of Pain. Murder by Numbers. Peter, play a little bit of it. This one, it, t- it, it took a while for me to really enjoy it, but... Once it gets you. It, once it gets you, yeah, it really is fantastic. So it's actually written, it was co-written uh, with Sting and uh, Stuart Copeland. Actually, they all three of them did. Even Andy Summers, it says that he wrote a little bit of it. And that's what he created. Get off the phone created. with his mom. <laughs> this is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, 
and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. So this is also about getting away with murder. Yeah, pretty clear in the song. Yeah. If, if you, hypothetically, if you could get away with it, who would you murder and how would you do it? Oh, man. I don't know. Um, man, who would I kill? One shot, and I walk away scot-free. There's a bunch of really, like, real big pieces of shit. But I'd probably say... I don't know, man. That's a really hard one, because it's like, do you want to make it count, or do you want to make it just like a personal, like, fuck that guy, I'd kill him, knock him off. <sighs> Because, like, a name that pops in my head is Scott Pruitt, the former head of the – it was Trump's appointee for the EPA. The dude's, like, just – I don't care what your are. Oh, what a piece are. of shit, He's dude. a legit piece of shit. Like, he was a uh, lobbyist for oil companies for, like, 14 years. Made, like, millions of dollars lobbying for oil people. Then he got put as the head of the EPA. I don't give a fuck what your politics are. That's just a shitty dude. He's, like, straight up like, yeah, we should dump in rivers. And everyone's like, what's up? And he's like, EPA, baby! <laughs> like he's fucking... It's, it's almost respectable if it was a villain in a comic book. Oh, yeah, man. But you're like, oh, that, that guy's a piece of shit. But I don't think I want him to die. I think I'd rather him just be fucking mocked his whole life and just told to his face that he's a piece of shit. Yeah. I'd probably say anyone that uh, tr- like uh, really hurts children. You know what I mean? Like I'd want to kill someone that like uh, human traffics. But I want to do that hand-to-hand. Have you seen the new Rambo? Uh, no, but that's don't what it's fucking about. spoil. I know it is. <laughs> Stallone knows how to get what Ghibli's going. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, dude, if you want to sell a movie to me, get a dad-like uh, main character with gray in his temples that can fight fast with his hands. I'll give you all the money. Oh, it's great. Taken, it's, fucking it's, it's, Rambo, yeah, Those Last are all Blood. great films, yeah. But yeah, I kind of like, uh, you know, who would you murder? Oh, I don't know. Um, Come on, you made the question. I'd probably like an old boss or something like. You're trying to take off people that could like hurt society. I'd go for. I just think there's like a lot of people. There's like a lot of people that are hurting uh, people in society that act like they're good people, but really they're like really bad pieces of shit. So I think those are the ones that I would want to kill. The phonies, death to the phonies. Do you want to do some facts and then get out of here? Yeah. All right. The cover of the vinyl album came in 36 different variations of a strip of individually chosen photos of By each who? band member. Who fucking Under the a spirit stripe of Let either me guess blue. Which hot boy had his <laughs> finger on this project. What if we had 36? And there's a guy that works in design and it's like, yeah, we could fucking do that. It's just, my son's turning nine and I promised I would be home, but I guess. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we can try it a different way. Yeah. Want to try it again? Yeah, you want to do it again? Fuck it. Say, God damn it. What is one thing that you try to do differently every day? 
um, love life. <laughs> no, I, uh, I don't know. I think when I do stand-up jokes, um, I always like to try to do different tags or say something different in the joke to kind of make the joke. Every t- you know, every time you do a joke, doing stand-up, you get bored. Oh, for sure. The second a joke works, you hate it. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, really? That's fucking funny. But if you, I heard an interview uh, with Bill Burr, and he was talking about how he featured for Dave Attell. And every night, David Till had a different tag for a joke. And I was always like, that's a fun. That's fucking great. It's a fun exercise and very hard to do, but also something you can just kind of fuck around about. Even just like reworking your set, just doing this joke yeah. before that. It just yeah, or just adding something. Some kind of excitement, yeah. yeah. All right. In another display of synchronicity, the trio's uh-huh. trademark look of bleach blonde hair happened by accident. The band needed money, so in 1978, they agreed to do a commercial for Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, directed by Tony Scott. However, they were crazy. Not, however, Great, dude, Tony fucking Scott. I know this is Top Gun. Dude, he did Top Gun and he did a double mint commercial. Yeah. Uh, so, however, they would have had to dye their hair blonde. They did. And the commercial was shot, but it was shelved and never aired. The band stuck with the hair color and it became a winning gimmick. Yeah. How much would you sell out to be successful? Uh, I've already had tastes of it. What have you done? Where like people like I did like that, um, you know, I did a show on MTV called Guy Code, and it kind of felt really, it was fun at first, and then it kind of just felt like disingenuous on my end. Yeah, and I think like those kind of feelings, when you do so, like corporate gigs, are always disingenuous, but there there's like a lot of money. You know, I think there's I think there for for us to be able to stay true to our art we still sometimes have to do other things to sure. be able to support that art so we can concentrate on it. So sure, I don't consider it, I that. I think that's where it's a slippery slope. Yeah. It's like, what are you actually selling out for? What are you like? I, I remember when I was still a waiter, I got a commercial agent right when I signed with my manager and my, I told my commercial agent, like, I don't want to be on camera. Can I just do voiceover stuff? And they're like, why? I was like, cause I don't want to be that guy that's in a bunch of commercials. And mm, also like, Tostitos. Yeah. Be like, did you make, did you park the car? And they're like, get your insurance. And then I'm on stage like, fucking my dad's dead. People are like, all right. Commercial auditions are the worst fucking, I mean. Yeah, it's a weird intensity in those rooms. People are gunning for that shit. I remember, I remember one time I had to go in. Not for, to knock commercial. No, it's but God it's bless. like you go in, you 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 go into a room and when you wait for the audition, everybody looks like you, yeah. you know, because you're trying to fit like a certain thing. So I go in for this this Wendy's commercial for the twisted toffee coffee frosty. Yeah. And the only line I had to say was mmm toffee. Like, that was it. And then you go into the waiting room, and what's so weird is that everybody that looks like me is practicing mmm toffee under their breath. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, this mm-hmm. is what it looks like. They go like this. They go, mmm toffee. No, that's not it. Mmm toffee. Yeah. Fuck. So they, but then to consolidate time, because we were waiting out there for a while, the casting director comes into the waiting room, and she's like, guys, she's like, we're running behind, so we're just going to bring, like, nine of you in at ah. once. So we're all lined up, and she goes, so when I point at you, just say mmm toffee. And the first guy goes, mmm, toffee. And I look at him, and I'm like, fuck, man, that's how I was going to do it. So funny. And then they got to me, and I was like, do something to stick out. So I went, mmm, goddamn, that's some good-ass toffee. (laughs) And they're like, get the fuck out of here. And the director goes, I need to have him. (laughs) That man just had the toffee, I can tell. 
I think there's, I think there's, like I said, man, there, there's, there's levels to. I wouldn't do anything, and I don't think you would do anything to compromise like your real integrity. Doing guy code is no, it was great. Listen, it's man, great, it, was also dude. An, it was a really fun opportunity to work with like a lot of cool people that I'm friends with still, and I liked it and all that stuff. But I'm saying like you start to feel it creep in right there because yeah. you start to see other opportunities where they're like, how do you feel about hosting a show called I Eat My Own Shit? <laughs> And then, and then you have your manager looking at you going, it's a good opportunity. <laughs> you're like, I don't know about that. All right, last fact. Sting, known to be a master at tantric sex, of course. once orgasm for 14 hours straight. What's the longest you've nutted? I wish his house would have gotten <laughs> robbed. Like, I wish you would have been yes. coming and been like, put the TV down. He's like, God, please, oh, fuck, get oh, out fuck. of the jewel. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck. Go upstairs and do I keep the jewelry. Not I'm coming my, so much. Uh, not my oh, favorite fuck. luggage. Oh, not my God. favorite luggage. Does that mean he's just leaking cum the whole time? He's like, oh, God, someone help me. You know, like, Does anybody know? You know in Dumb and Dumber where he keeps filling up the bottles? Where he's like, I need another one. Hold on. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I can't pinch it off. I think I think tantric sex is is like a it's like a meditation sex where no, you like you know what it is you know what it's stopping and edging and stopping and then you come and you're like wow we wasted a lot of time no I think it's like the sex from the movie Demolition Man where you oh. put like the the little headset on and you're like hi 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 yeah. you start speaking in tongues like you're at Jesus camp yeah then you then you gotta get out and wipe your butt with shells what's the longest Shout you out Demolition Man. <laughs> What's the what's the longest like? Because anything over twenty minutes is excessive. Like you shouldn't. To be honest, guys, you're fucking more than fifteen minutes. Sex ten minutes. Stop it. Yeah, dude. Three positions. That's it. Her on top. You're on top. Maybe doggy. I like fucking like I like my heavyweight fights under nine minutes with lots of impact. So it's like if it goes past the third round, I'm like, this is a lot of breathing and grabbing going on, and no one's getting really anything done. But those first two rounds, it's fresh. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah. Fuck like a Tyson match, not like a fucking Lennox Lewis match. Uh, yeah, dude, you don't need to go 12 rounds. Just a couple God, quick pops. What are you proving? What are you trying to take into the cards for? Yeah, because after, after like six, seven minutes, man, like you get a leg cramp. It's just, you need dude, to take I'm just a break. Not fucking well. I'm starting to think about delicious cold drinks. <laughs> starting to, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not like. That's why that tantric shit's straight up silly to me. I don't want to nut that long. Who wants to orgasm? Now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sensitive. Can we wrap this? Everyone up? Everyone knows the best part of orgasming is the post-orgasm because you're like that felt good, and then you move on with your day. It just makes everything else in your day. If your orgasm's 14 hours, you lost a Tuesday. Yeah, but he was probably doing it in like a cottage in Scotland, like He's just you know, sweating wrapped up. <laughs> like, this is we must hold it as long as possible. Like, He's staying. I got to go to work. <laughs> I'm drowning in your jism. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Forty now. <laughs> I've changed his accent so many times in this podcast. All right. What are your What are your final thoughts on the album? Thank you for making me listen to it. Because I don't think I would have, else, elsewise. Yeah. And um, I, there, I love King of Pain. I love Murder by Numbers. Uh, there's like songs that I genuine synchroni- synchronicity to. I, I thanks for making me listen to the album because I think it kind of washed out 
the bad memories I had of being fired at K-Rock and being scared shitless that I was going to have to wait tables. So it was like kind of cool to approach it in a place where I'm doing, bless you, uh, where I'm doing comedy and the bonfire, you know, doing stand-up in the bonfire. And it's just kind of be like, oh, yeah, now that album will make me think of doing the 500 and not. Yeah. It's it, it for me. I think the police are incredible. Yeah. This might not be my favorite record of theirs because yeah. I haven't really listened to the other ones. But uh, I definitely love Sting. Because uh, I, I do like his like really pussy music that he went on to make. Like I love Fields of Gold. I love it. I love it so much. And this is if this is where Fields of Gold came from. Yeah, it yeah. just makes me appreciate it even more. Little Danny Soder, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, a huge thank you to everybody at JFL. I love you, Nick, Sophia, Donna, the whole crew. You guys are the shit. For all things Dan Soder, go to dansoder.com. Don't forget to listen to The Bonfire on Sirius XM Radio with Dan and Big J Okerson. And don't miss his new stand-up special coming out soon on HBO. But currently, catch him on Showtime's Billions playing Mephee. And follow him on all social media at Dan Soder. I'll be posting Dan's Spotify mixtape. And I don't know if you know this, but all of our guests have made Spotify mixtapes for you. So get inside the musical mind of all of our guests. Gives you something to listen to after you listen to the album. And you can find all of that at the website, the500podcast.com. Send us an email, 500podcast at gmail.com. And follow me. I need followers, guys. Because that's how the industry dictates how well you're doing. At Josh Adam Myers. Do it. Subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to the 500 on Spotify or your favorite platform to listen to podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple iTunes, leave us a rating and leave us a review. It takes one minute. That's it. Now, we just listened to The Police from 1983. For new music this week, RMD Matt Pinfield selected Dreamers. Dreamers are a band who reside in LA but come from Seattle via Brooklyn. They're a three-piece with clever songwriting, hooks, and a love for the police. Listen to Dreamers' new single, Die Happy, remixed by UK indie stars The Wombats on Spotify. And you can find that and everything else at our website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band who were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, send us your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Gets Gilberto Week with their 1964 masterpiece of the same name. So y'all got some homework to do. Listen to the record on Spotify. Stay fleecified. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Next Chapter Podcasts.